Hello and welcome to The Alternative Path with me, David Robson. This week, I'm really excited to introduce you to a lady who I first came across on LinkedIn. Um, it, it's fair to say I, I noticed a post that Julie had put on LinkedIn that two things for me. It was inspirational about the journey she's she's been through and complete kind of admiration for the fact that she, she'd shared that on a on an open platform. and. I really, really like that. I think it's inspiring. So I'm really excited to introduce you to Julie Norman. Now, Julie is the Executive Primary Lead at Quantuk Education Trust. She's also the Managing Director of School Amiga Solutions, SOS. Now, Julie, you will be the, the best person to introduce yourself. So welcome to the show. And please just give us a bit of, a, bit of an introduction to who you are and where you've come from. Hello. Um, yes, I I um, I put a post out on LinkedIn, and I seem to have gotten an awful lot of um, attention from that. So there's about two hundred and ten thousand views on that. So I really wasn't expecting that. Um, I put I put a post out there, basically summing up my my background and why I do what I do. Um, I do what I do with heart. So I don't do what I do for money. I never have. Um, it, it's all, it all comes from the heart. It, it's simply that, you know, when I moved to England when I was 12 and um, it was a huge awakening, it was a very different culture, um, a very, very different way of life. Um, so by the time I was a 14, I'd already um, sort of left school really. The teachers had decided they didn't like me very much because I was trouble. Um, uh, I, I used to get in a lot of fights and it's simply because I don't like bullies. I, I don't like people being humiliated. I don't like to watch it. Um, and the only way I knew to deal with it was to sort of fight these other children. So I got excluded by 10 past nine pretty much every day. Um, so by the time I was 14, I gave up on that. I thought there's not really much point in going in every day. And my year leader um, sat me down and uh, that was the turning point, I think, when she said to me, uh, you, you know, you're breathing valuable oxygen. Someone useful could be breathing. And I thought to myself, wow, I, I know she didn't like me, but but to wish me dead, um, that I was a bit stunned and taken aback by that. And and I thought, I, I don't know why I would want to come back here, you know, to be around someone who wishes I, I didn't breathe. So um, so I just stopped going to school. My, my mother worked hard. My stepfather was uh, a violent bully and um, he, he, they would both go to work all day. So I just stayed home. They had no idea. They left before me in the morning and got home after I would get in from school. So they never noticed. Um, and then to avoid my stepfather, when he got in from work, I would normally go and hang out with friends up in the field, up the road, um, drink a lot of cider. Uh, they, they, it was just a really unhealthy, what I see now as an adult, an incredibly unhealthy way of living as a teenager. I got in with all the wrong crowd. Um, so I spent a good couple of years uh, hanging out with the wrong people, mm. met Mr. Perfect, who was an alcoholic um, and drug addict, um, who, who wanted to just party all day, every day. So for me, I was living the dream. Um, he was incredibly violent and uh, aggressive, obviously because of you know the, the, the drugs and the alcohol. But we went on to have two children. And by the time I was 27, I realized that this is not for me. Um, he attacked my daughter. He pulled a chunk of hair out of her head. Um, and, and basically I thought, you know, you can attack me, but you're not attacking her. She's not going to live what I've lived. So I'd had 11 years of it and it was time to, it was time to go. 
unfortunately, um, you know, he was quite strict about where I could go and what I could do. So while he was away for the weekend, I packed the whole house up and the children, put a pin in a map. I'm not even joking about that. I literally put a pin in a map. It came up Bournemouth and off we went. And I had never been to Bournemouth in my life. I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> I just went down and, and I put a deposit on, on renting the house and, and moved in. And we started our brand new life. And, 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 and that's, that's what we did. That's where it all began. So that's where the whole, my whole life turned around, really. It was scary, but it was absolutely necessary. So. Yeah, and, and even you know, hearing you sort of talking about it is probably. Well, I, I hope for anyone listening is is that even the read your post first time is is more inspirational, and I can only kind of imagine the. You know, I had some um, rejection going through school, not to that level, by. By, by someone who's supposed to help guide you through through not just education but through like really important the teachers aren't just about educating other they're about kind of as well as parents don't get me wrong but helping you kind of shape the way you're going to kind of live your life and the, the level of rejection and effects that 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 must have had or even still have on you kind of long term is just just massive isn't it like absolutely massive it's so damaging and it, it does stay with you now you know at the, at the moment I have a coach um I've had a coach for years actually um Alicia Carlin she's an absolutely brilliant coach and um she is superb because most of our coaching conversations even now are about confidence are about me believing in myself so it's a real barrier for me doing things in life because I think well I probably wouldn't be very good at that um, and it comes from the fact that people saying, you know, you won't amount to anything. You'll never, you'll never be anything in your life. Um, you, you know, you're a waste of space. It's those, those nasty comments um, from, from people you believe. That's the thing. You know, if you're an educator and you're saying that, children actually believe you. They take that as a formal assessment, you know, of, of their, their, their potential, really. And when someone says you'll never amount to anything, we think, well, they must know because they're the educators, so they must be right. Um, and I was obviously told that, but um, when I was 27 and I realised I was now a single parent and I couldn't get a job because I didn't have any GCSEs or anything, um, literally just left school with a reputation and nothing else. <laughs> they, um, my, I said to my mum, like, well, what am I going to do? She was still in London. And I, I said, well, what am I supposed to do? I, how am I supposed to raise kids? And I didn't want to be on benefits and stuff. It, I just didn't want that. I wanted to be really independent for once in my life. And and, and she said, you've got to go for the dream job. You know, if you could be anything in the world, what would it be? And I said, well, if I could be anything, I would be the teacher. I really wish I had. I wish I had a teacher who just could see the torment in my eyes and just pull me to one side and say, are you okay? Are you all right? You know, mm. um, and even if I said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Not believe me. Don't believe me. You know, ask me every day until I'm strong enough to say, do you know what? No, I'm not okay. Um, mm. But I have to say, you know, all through my teenage years, I was waiting for someone to ask me, are you okay? I remember, uh, you know, many years later in coaching, I was asked, why didn't you tell someone? And I thought, they never asked. Mm. <laughs> it's really that simple. They didn't ask me. Um, as an adult, I can sit here and say, well, you know, I tell children all the time, you must speak up, you must speak up. But, uh, you know, they, they don't speak up. That's mm. the problem they will still wait for someone to ask them. So it's just such an important question. 
Um, so I, I thought, well, that's what I need to be. I need to be that teacher. So if I just help one child, it will have been worth all the years of studying. But I knew I wasn't clever because my teachers told me I wasn't. And so my mum said, um, you know, it, you will always excel in the dream job. You will always achieve it if your heart's there. If it's the dream, you will do whatever you have to do to get there. And I said, yeah, but I'm not clever. And she said, but you don't know that. And so I spoke to my brother and I said, I'm not really smart enough to go to university and uh, or to get a degree, I beg your pardon. I said, I'm not smart enough to get a degree. And he said, no, you're not. You've got to study for three years first. Then they decide if you can get the degree. So go do the three years studying and then ask yourself if you're smart enough for a degree. And I thought, that's a really good point, actually. I'm assuming I'm not very good. I have to go and study first and then judge whether I'm good enough to get that, that qualification. So, so it was one term at a time. Every term, I just thought, I'll just do one term and then I'll leave because I'll fail anyway. And that would just be embarrassing. So, and every term I had the same conversation with myself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll leave, I'll leave. And at the end of term, I'm like, you know, it wasn't that bad. It was actually okay. That was quite an easy term. So I'll do one more and then I'll leave. And it went on for four years <laughs> until yeah. I finally ended up with my GCSEs, my A-levels. I did GCSEs and A-levels in one year. And then I did my degree in three years. And then I did my PGCE in a year. And I was teaching and I, it was it was all okay. Actually, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that painful um, and I could do it. And I immediately went to my first school I went to, I wanted to find out what's the school where all the unteachables reside at. Where do all the teachers not want to teach because the children are horrible? And I went to a school in, um, in Poole and, um, and they were really struggling with retaining teachers. They couldn't even keep supply staff for more than half a day. And the head said to me, if, if you get past lunchtime, you're doing great, you know. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And I'm an NQT now. I've only just, you know. Um, <laughs> Not what you want. <laughs> <laughs> and I went into year seven because, of course, in Paul and Bournemouth, they keep the year sevens uh, in their primaries. So um, they only they go up at year eight. And so um, I had the year sevens the last year. And... Um, yeah, they, they, they pushed me about a bit. They chewed me up and spat me out. Um, you know what I kept doing is instead of telling them off and instead of punishing them, I would just go and sit with them and say, what's going on? Are you okay? Do you, do you need my help? And, and I kept cuddling them, which they weren't used to. I would offer them hugs. Um, you know, um, we would go out and go for walks and, and it wasn't all trying to hammer them with English and maths and um, and, and they kind of saw I wasn't a threat. I wasn't going to tell them they're no good. Um, and they changed, you know, and I became really close to them. Um, and they were just adorable. To the outside world, they were little thugs, <laughs> you know, who fought a lot. But um, what I saw was angry kids saying, please find a space for me to fit in. I don't fit anywhere. And uh, actually, they were lovely, really lovely. And if a child came in that was new, um, and was a bit cheeky, they'd all sort of look around and go, don't talk to Miss that. <laughs> 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 I think, um... <laughs> they were amazing, amazing children. And actually, they inspired me. They inspired me to keep on going and keep working with those children that have no, no place, really. I think um, so going into that environment um, as, an, as an NQT, you know, you're that's when your, I'm guessing your background really came into its own in terms of preparing you, didn't it, for, for that? But 
in in the kind of um, work we do with alternative provision uh, and pupil referral units and sort of after school tuition, you know, you can something you've probably just touched on there, and I don't, you might correct me if I'm wrong in terms of how they kind of train teachers and get them ready to teach in in schools. You know, when we get a position for a science teacher at an alternative provision, yes, science, teaching science is important, but if you cannot get engagement from six to 12 pupils who have got social, emotional, mental health or ADHD or behavioural needs, it, it's almost irrelevant if you can teach science because if you can't hold that classroom and get engagement, it doesn't matter, does it? Because yeah. you can't get that. Do you think they, like in terms of preparing teachers for the different types of pupils out there, is, I mean, I'm guessing that must be, that's something that we can always improve on, but from kind of an NQT point of view in, in particular, if you haven't got that life experience, it must be really hard, mustn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, within the Quantock Education um, Trust, I look after the NQTs um, and I look after the trainee teachers as part of my, my contracted work with them. And um, I, the NQTs are not taught how to deal with children who perhaps have attachment disorder or are just generally disengaged because of uh, the negative environment they've, they've been in. And and how they perceive themselves, you know, I mean, half the problem is how they perceive themselves, uh, but that's come from somewhere, do you know what I mean? Mm. So, um, it's undoing all of that, isn't it? So their perception of self is a lot better. And um, I don't feel NQTs are prepared. Um, and then they struggle and then they end up leaving the profession because they're ill-equipped, um, because they didn't live that life. So they don't quite understand why, when you're being nice to a teenager, why they push you away and why they're nasty back to you when you're being nice. And I think, well, they're not used to people being nice to them. You know, I, I personally, I'm still quite uncomfortable. In fact, my conversation with my coach only last week was um, I've had all these amazing comments from this LinkedIn post, uh, which I was not expecting, I have to say. Um, and I've had hundreds, I mean, literally hundreds of messages and I've had private messages, a lot of private messages. And just saying, you know, I just want to reach out and say how amazing you are. And I said to her, I'm not amazing and I'm not inspirational. So why are they all saying this? I just gave my story. You know, mm -hmm. I just wanted to introduce myself on LinkedIn to say, look, this is what I do and this is why I do it, you know. And and why would people think that was inspirational? So I, I have to say I was a little baffled by all of that because um, me trying to get through life and let's face it, I made poor choices along the way. So how is that inspirational? to make poor choices and she said no I don't think it's about how you got into the mess I think it's how you got out of the mess <laughs> that people 100%. are in the mess. but you know but we're, we're all in survival and I think you know if you've been through a difficult time your survival behavior whether you fight or flight or, or what you do or freeze um will determine I think your future and, and I, I went into fight really where I thought no I, I'm not going to be labeled the problem I'm not gonna I'm now a single parent um and I thought now I'm just another rejection in society because I'm a single parent so I've just walked from one rejected person into another rejected person and and I just I thought no I, I'm not having this I'm not I'm not having the world continually boxing me as a reject and it's not fair I wasn't born to be a reject that's mm. Right, you know, so I think I went into sort of flight mode, really, and uh, sorry, fight mode, and um, and fought all those those uh, sort of. I mean, both uh, the teachers would say, "Oh, you know, children of single parents don't do quite so well." My daughter obviously had a long-term illness with ME, and my son is autistic, so 
and the odds were completely against me. Yeah. <laughs> that could be against me. But um, but again, you have to somehow believe. Um, no, my children are going to be amazing. They're going to be everything they want to be. And I don't care what it is, but they are going to be what they want to be. And that was all I ever said to them. You have to want to get up in the morning um, and you have to feel so good about what you're doing or don't mm -hmm. do it. You know, um, and that, and I didn't care what they did, if they swept streets or, or what they, I didn't, it didn't matter. They just have to want to get up in the morning and, and, and do what they're doing. It's almost not a job, you know. What I, I do now is not a job just it's my passion you know yeah and i think um i think covid um, probably made a lot of people switch into that mindset because so many people have been so busy focusing on chasing a, a lifestyle chasing a, a salary chasing a where actually if you're not happy doing what you're doing what's what's the point what what what, what is the point like life life's too short isn't it and covid's just shown us that anything can change at the blink of an eye so be happy in doing what you're doing you're yourself those teachers who are saying those things to children they've written them off so why are they in the job i mean they're clearly not happy in the job and what you know as an adult i can now look back and say they probably said that because they weren't happy um and and the children are suffering that you know because they are unhappy in the job and and so we have to look after the teachers as well you know i i went on to do my mpqh and i'm just finishing off my mpqel so so I look after head teachers now, and, and one of the jobs I think is I've got to look after the head so they're strong and they feel really supported and they're allowed to make mistakes, most importantly. Um, and, and that's absolutely key. You know, we keep telling children, if you want to learn, you have to make mistakes. Well, it's, it goes the same way for, for staff as well. Uh, yeah. um, and so the head teachers then take that to the teachers and say, it's okay to make mistakes and I'm here to support you. And if you make a mistake, we'll put it right together. You know, we'll work together and move forward and learn from it. And, and just as we would with the children, there has to be a whole mindset, whole ethos in the school. So then the teachers don't take their frustrations out on the children who aren't learning. Because that's the problem. If you put too much pressure on teachers to get data, um, the pressure will inevitably be put down on the children to say, why aren't you getting this? You know, I kind of, I need you to get ARE, hurry up, <laughs> you know. And the frustration is there. And the only person suffering through all of this is the child, uh, you know, and that's got to stop. We've got to, we want to change completely how we do things. So that, so those frustrations are not at all shared with children. Children are not responsible for data. They're not responsible for how schools choose to run themselves. They're not responsible for government targets. They're not responsible for any of that. You know, they're only ever responsible for being kind to their peers, uh, turn up at school with an att a good attitude to learning. You know, there are certain things they are responsible for, but your data is not one of them. So it's nothing to do with them, you know. And mm -hmm. teachers shouldn't feel that important to turn a child into something they're not. You know, if they're not a high high achiever, then, um, then we haven't found their talents. We haven't found what they are good at. Instead, you're just, you know, you're pushing water uphill. So um, you have to get to know the child. Um, so I, I did a, a course online, if you would, just for Christmas, and it was on relationships um, leading to academic success. And I'm going to be um, putting that as an article in the Head Teacher Update. And it is about, without, um, without Maslow, you can't have blooms. So, so the key message here is Maslow before blooms. If you want children to have a greater depth of understanding and learning through Blooms, you have to get Maslow right. 
So those basic needs have got to be met first. Like you said, you can bring in the best science teacher in the world, but if, if Maslow isn't, isn't taken care of, I'm afraid those children aren't gonna learn anyway. So, um, and part of Maslow isn't just food and water, it has to be more than that. It has to be that we, we encourage those children to feel valued, um, to recognize their strengths, to be okay with the things they're not good at yet. And again, it's yet, it's always a growth mindset. Um, one day you might be, so what, you know, um, and enjoy what you are good at, enjoy what you do do and, and use it to help others. So everyone has a place in society where they are a support role, but they're also learning. And I think until we, until we do that, until we get that right, um, the children aren't going to make the progress we want them to make. They're not going to reach the heights of um, greater depth learning. It's not going to happen. Just completely agree, and I was completely absorbed in your your conversation there. What do you? Um, I know we, we spoke about this briefly on the phone, but so many of the things you've just spoke about, so many leaders across all social media platforms talk about this daily. You know, the threads on Twitter, the stuff on LinkedIn. It's it's, it's massive. So, what what can like what can we do to to help bring that change? What obviously it. It, it kind of has to kind of come from the top to a point, but at the same time, like what, what can we do? What can, like what, I know that's such an open question, but what, what can we do to bring around that change? And it's really not, you know, it's, it's, it's easier than you think. Um, I, I think, first of all, you have to um, go back to the why question. Why do we do what we do? And why do we do it the way we do it? That's most important. So I would say to all leaders out there, sit down and look at the most basic things you do and say, why do we do it that way? So in other words, if, if I was just opening a brand new school and I could do whatever I wanted, however I wanted, would that be what I would choose? And if the answer is no, bin it. And go back with your SLT and go, well, how are we going to do it then? So for instance, I was, I was uh, executive head of two schools for six years um, and I sat with the staff and I said, why do we teach subjects? Who told us to do that? Why is it important we teach them? Why do we keep naming it a subject and set it aside for an hour? You know, mass importance that let's say it's science and you say you have to have science for that hour or that two hours on a Thursday afternoon. Who said we have to do it that way? And we all kind of looked at each other and said, I, I don't know. And I said, well, <laughs> what we wanted is, is that how we would design our school? If this was a brand new school, would we do that? And we all said, no, we all believed wholeheartedly in more project-based learning. Because if a child has one bad science lesson and really struggles, they immediately decide, I'm no good at science. And then they come into science every week after that and say, I'm not good at science. This is gonna go horribly wrong. I'm gonna let myself down. I'm gonna embarrass myself. So they come in on the defense. Um, they're angry, they're frustrated and they will do anything to get thrown out of the lesson, quite honestly. <laughs> That's less humiliating than, than being thick at science. Yeah. So, so we have to remove every single barrier to a child learning. And if, if calling it science is a barrier, stop calling it science. And if it's a Thursday afternoon and they're tired and that's the barrier to them doing well in a more practical lesson, move it, move it to Monday. You know, so do everything you can to, to make that lesson and that learning really engaging and really fun. So the other thing I would suggest as well to leaders is why are you writing all the policies when this school is for the community? So as a leader, as a head teacher, for instance, I am, I am blessed really with, with just looking after a school for the community. 
So when I go, that school will carry on, you know, that community mm. will carry on. It's not my school. I'm, I'm just, I, I just care for it, you know. Um, and if I can, I will do everything in my power to move it along, um, improve it some more, and then I'll move on. Um, so it's really important that the community are part of policy making as well. So why aren't the children writing many of the policies? The marking policy, for instance, my children wrote the marking policy, and it was the best marking policy ever because it was exactly how they wanted it, which meant now they understood what marking was and why it was there. And it was designed in a way that they wanted it to be presented. So now the feedback was much more personal because it was about, they had decided how they were gonna have that feedback. Now they said, <clears throat> I had a different children from every year group and some children in, in years three and four said, I don't want the teacher spending all day Sunday writing stuff in my book that I'm never gonna read. And I just thought, well, that's thoughtful. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, you're right, why are we doing this? And it comes back to the why, the why question. Why are you doing what you're doing? Ask the children, do they want that? It, does it help them? Are they, you know, let's engage the children a bit more. Let's use things like S planning, loops for learning, um, because then the children are helping to plan. The, the children and the teachers spend the first week or so planning their whole term together, deciding what they want to learn. And the teacher becomes the facilitator, not the teacher. So the teacher will say, well, what do you want to achieve? Oh, you know, we want to put on a play or we want to write an amazing story. We want to write a class book. Okay, so what do you need from me? And, and that's all the teacher should be saying. What do you need from me? Um, and, and then the learning comes through questioning. So that's where your blooms comes into play. Some really good quality questioning. So that the children are constantly being asked questions instead of told to remember stuff. You know, that's the lowest order of thinking is to remember something for a test. Um, your, your, your SEN children really struggle with that, but with Blooms, you take them into innovation, and that's where your SEN children show true strength. That's where their creativity comes into play, um, and they love when you take them into that zone. Um, so now, finally, you've got a real balance in the room. Everyone can access it. Everyone has a strength. No one's struggling. Everyone's engaged. Your behavior problems literally disappear because everyone can access it now and they're all values, they're all important. Um, behavior issues completely disappeared from my two schools. We used, to, we, we used to sit and touch wood and say, do you know, I haven't had a child sent to me for three months, you know, for poor behavior or being cheeky or whatever. And then that ended up being a year and then it was two years and we were like, the children actually like coming to school, attendance was 98%. Um, and, but more and more children got to greater depth, more SEN children made incredible progress. Um, but, but as well as all of that, if you want to just do some little things, let's say you don't want to do those big things as a leader, you don't want to go back to the why question, um, then just do the little things. So when a child comes in the classroom, does the adult turn around and smile and look happy to see them? You know, when you're going to go, oh, hi, you know, oh, morning, how are you? And how was your weekend? And listen to the answer like mm. like you care <laughs> you know um, and make that child want to walk in that room they look forward to walking in that room because they're going to be greeted by someone who clearly loves them you know um i know just... a couple of years ago one of the ofsted inspectors said to me um you know your children know the true meaning of love and i said what do you mean and she said well they love the staff and they know the staff love them and they love each other 
And she said, I have never seen that in a school before. And I literally just cried because I thought that's, they could achieve anything if they believe that they are loved, anything. So for me, the doors were open now for them achieving pretty much anything. And it was up to us to make it possible. A couple of things you just touched on there. I just want to go back into, uh, and I completely agree with you. And I, I kind of, looking back, I wish, I wish that was in, in, in my school. So you spoke about something that asking pupils to be involved in what they want to learn, basically. And exactly the first thing that came into my mind was exactly before you even said it was, was SEM pupils, but not even just the SEM pupils, those pupils that might not be SEM, but aren't the most academic, but are really good at creating, like completely agree straight away. You're, you would probably notice a shift that some of the more academic people would probably go a bit quieter. And then it, yeah. like you say, it, it starts to level out. And interestingly, I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying about, um, there's a mainstream secondary school um, and they've obviously been doing a lot of online learning and someone had, a teacher had um, mentioned that they'd really notice a bit of a kind of more of a level playing field because some of the pupils that were quite obviously had some reasonings for not maybe enjoying school as much started to engage a bit more and they kind of that it was kind of evening things out and a, a completely kind of similar um similar thing to what you were just saying about getting pupils involved because like everyone everyone has a gift and we talk, talk about it every time on every podcast everyone has a gift and it's about life's about trying to find that gift some people find that gift at four years old some people find it at 35 years old well, one of the but, reasons is they're given the opportunity to so mm. as a school i think you have to create loads of opportunities you never know what you know what gift a child has or what talent they have if if, if they've never been given the opportunity so for instance you know all of our children learn musical instruments and because we don't know who's musical until we give mm. them instruments and then we'll find out if they're musical um, I wasn't SEN, I was completely disengaged. I was your CP child, your child protection child really, but without social care involvement, that was all. Um, mm. I probably should have had social care involvement. I think I would have, I think I would have ended up in, in, in a foster home and then, and then a PRU, no doubt, but, um, but, but, but if it was today, I think. But, but the thing is that, yes, everyone has a gift and I'm not fluffy about that. I'm really very scientific about that because like, if you use blooms in, in teaching, for instance, you start off with, you know, we've got to note some facts and we've got to analyze how useful those facts are. And that's where your lower achievers struggle. And uh, you can't have a child not achieve in life because they don't have the best memory or their processing's a bit slower than others. That's not fair. You can't disable them because of that. But then with blooms, you then go on into evaluating the best way to use that information and then get innovative and creative. Well, now your SEN are leading the way. Now your SEN and your disengaged children, they're the ones now who have creative, innovative minds. Um, they're, they're your leaders in the world, weirdly, because they think mm. differently. Um, <clears throat> they're not linear and they're not waiting for an instruction. Uh, they think outside the box. So now the higher order work, you see your SEN and your disengaged absolutely flourish. And you actually see your high achievers struggle because your high achievers aren't, aren't used to thinking that way. They're used to remembering and ordering in a very linear fashion. So we found our high achievers really struggled when we got to the innovative part of the learning. 
Um, but the other children just absolutely flew. So yes, it was much more of a level playing field. So then we started to work with the children about recognizing a sense of self. So know what you're good at, know what you struggle at. Um, and that includes the high achievers, all children. So the high achievers would say, well, I'm not that creative. I'm not very artistic. Um, I don't really think outside the box. And then the low achievers are saying, I'm not very good at memory. So then they started to become ambassadors. So they all, every child is an ambassador for something. So your SEN or your disengaged might say, well, I'm very innovative and I'm creative. So, so when we do some teamwork, I'm, I'm gonna join a team of some high achievers who really struggle in that area because I'm gonna help them think quite differently. Mm. Um, and, and the high achievers needed them. It, you know, you're not being nice and, and cute to the SEN children, you're really not. You're actually supporting the high achievers now to think slightly differently. They need those children to work with them. And that's preparing them for life, that they should be surrounding themselves by different people with different strengths. So collectively, you can create something brilliant, you know, and um, that's life, right? <laughs> yeah, and then the, 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 the benefits to society of doing right. that as well would be great because you'd start to move up, um, remove those kind of barriers, stereotypes, whatever it, whatever it might be. Mm. Um, it, it just it just seems and again it's like a lot of things isn't it? when someone kind of talks about it with such clarity and passion like you're doing it it seems obvious but yeah. it's obviously and I don't mean that in I, 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 I don't mean that in any disrespect to anyone yeah. in education but it seems it seems it seems like a an obvious an obvious change doesn't it so yeah I, there's there's so much talk on it's fear, David. It's just fear. When I talk to head teachers, they're like, "Oh, but Ofsted wouldn't like it." Well, Ofsted loved it, you know. So, so I had I had two Ofsteds because my first Ofsted, the inspector, was quite rude to my children. Now, I've always taught my children, "Don't be rude," um, and he was rude and snappy. So I asked him to leave. So um, uh, he left, and um, he argued first, saying, "You can't throw me. In. I'm here for His Her Majesty's service." And I said, "Safeguarding trumps the Queen." Uh, pack your bags so he did go um but then um I, I got another Rofsted um which I was glad for um and and then they came back the following year I said I don't want a section eight I want a full inspection I want you to come and see everything that we're doing we were massive on sport art and music and none of that came up in the section eight so I thought no no if you really want to judge my schools come back and do a full two days which they did and I was glad of that um, and th that's when they were saying about, you know, the children know the meaning of love. They said the broad curriculum was feeding, um, you know, the, those areas of difficulty. So in other words, the confidence they were building in their sports and music, we would use that in the classroom for areas that they found difficult. Um, behavior problems were gone. You know, there was no exclusions. Um, I didn't have any issues like that, you know. Um, and so I, I think I was, I was very much of, Whatever you do, do for the children. Just keep asking yourself, why am I doing this? And how is this helping the child to be the best they can be? And if it's not, then why are you doing it? I mean, that, that's ultimately the question. Um, you know, the Quantock Education Trust came to me and said, you know, what you've done to those two schools, can you do to our primary schools? Can we have really confident, happy children who were being ready for 2045 um, for jobs that haven't been invented? using technology that hasn't been invented. Mm. Well, I can't teach them how to use technology that hasn't been invented, but I can teach them a sense of themselves. 
and I can I can create an environment where they can learn about who they are, the good and the bad, and be okay with that. Um, learn about other people and be not just tolerant, but embrace other people. I don't like the word tolerant. Um, it's almost as though you're putting up with people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. No, get to know them well enough so that you embrace them. Don't just tolerate people. Um, and then a sense of the world, you know, where they fit into the world and how they're going to change it. It's their world in 20 years. How do they want it to look? And what will they do now to have an impact on that? Um, and then they all just get busy and the behaviors are gone because everyone is valued, everyone's important and everyone's got a job to do. You know, they're not in an institution just remembering facts anymore, you know. Um, so I went in there a year ago and, and it's amazing. The behavior issues have gone. They've just disappeared. Now, I, I promised that would happen. Um, I'm not sure I was completely believed, but the behaviors are gone. Now, when you walk in any classroom in, in the schools, the children don't even notice you've walked in. They're so engrossed in what they're doing. Um, the teachers are so happy. They're saying they love the new way of teaching where the children are so involved. Um, and they were like, they come to me and they go, you wouldn't believe the things the children said, even in reception. They come out with the most amazing statements. I'm like, I know, but we've yeah. never asked the right questions. These children are amazing. Uh, but all we ever do is ask them to recall stuff. And how can we ever know their potential if that's how we teach? So... Um, so yeah, so I, I just go into schools and, and help them really to to ask the why question and make the changes that are necessary. Yeah, I um I know you said when you spoke to your your coach, you were struggling yeah. to understand understand why people saw it as, as inspirational, and I really hope that it, it, to me, listening to you talk talk about it, it seems even more inspirational. I think that's. <laughs> it's just, it's, it, I know, I know. I, I can understand why you're saying you, you don't understand why it seems inspirational, but it, it, it really is. And I think the benefits of, I think generally, generally, the benefits of more pupils being engaged, happy in education. It's not just school, is it? It's school, home, society, after school. You know, like you say, you're you're helping potentially future leaders like find yeah. themselves earlier so what can that person then create earlier rather than spending another 10-15 years after school finding themselves they've already done that so they can think how like much that can improve like sounds cheesy but the world not just a, a, a society but 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 the world so I think it is inspirational and I think I, I understand why you maybe don't see it like that but I think it, I think it is and um yeah, I just think your, your your journey into education is fantastic. The life experience that that's given you is fantastic. The why is so so clear, isn't it, to you? Which is 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 amazing. Um, something you haven't uh, we haven't really spoke about um, uh, yet is School Omega uh, Solutions SOS. Can you just talk to us a bit more about about that and and what that's about? Yeah, well, what happened was I started being asked to, because of the changes I made in my two schools, I started being asked to go and do um, keynote speaking or uh, conferences and training programs to help other schools to do the same. Um, and there was only so many days in the week, you know, I had two schools. Um, I was seconded to look after another two. So now I had four schools and two preschools. 
um, and I was being asked to do all this training. <laughs> and I thought, I, I can't actually do all of this. Uh, this is this is impossible. Um, and so, um, so I set up School Over Solutions, which is what I started doing is the training programs I was going out doing. I just loaded on to a website, and I just packed them all in there. So all these inset day training. So with and videos to explain how to use the training stuff. So, so they didn't need me, they could just have the resources and crack on and do their own training. Mm. I wanted more and more schools to change what they're doing um, so that it's much more focused on the customer and not on the data. And so, um, so I thought, I know, I'll just put them all online and I'll do videos. I'll, I'll even record my voice over the slides so they can use me if they want, but I don't have to be there. Um, and so that's where it all started. And then, and then I realized a lot of head teachers can't look after their teachers because they're so bogged down with paperwork. They spend most of the time in the office. And I thought we have to change that too. They've become admin. And, and actually their key role is to make sure that their teachers, um, every barrier is removed for their teachers as well so that they are ultimately focused only on the customer. Nothing else should get in a teacher's way. Um, and so as leaders, we should be focusing on that. And if we're stuck in the office with admin, I'm sorry, we're not doing it. So, so I created like an audit tool, which is like 220 questions. And if the head can just fill in those questions and rag rate themselves green, amber, red, and then pop in a, just a short statement as to why they think they're green or why they think they're red, that now becomes your school development plan or school improvement plan. It becomes your set straight off because you just print it as a report. Um, and so it's a reporting tool. It'll do all your reports for you. It'll do all your committee reports, your full governor's report, your set. It will do reports for your SEP if you have one who comes in um, or SIP, it depends what you call them. Um, so it does all your paperwork for you. So get out of the office and go into the classrooms and just keep looking for those barriers. What's stopping your teacher from being absolutely focused on those children and nothing else? Because if they're not doing it, they're not going to have that full and rich relationship with the child. Um, and so we must be focusing on that because they have to have a relationship with the child for the child to succeed. Um, so so that I put that on there as well. Um, I spoke to an IT company and said, look, how can I give all this to schools? Um, so that they can change what they're doing um, and they don't need me to come in and, and lecture them or do it for them. And, um, and, and they, they said, we looked at a price uh, for a subscription and I said, I, I'm not worried about being profitable. It's not about being profitable. I don't do anything I do for money. I said, oh, I would much rather every school in the country just had this. Um, but because it's IT based, that it has to come with a subscription because I have to pay the IT team mm. to look after their schools. So if a school subscribes, the IT team will, will troubleshoot any issues that they have, make personal changes to the, the it's called the art, the audit and reporting tool. So you might make it really bespoke, um, which I have with the schools I'm working with. We have um, principles of excellence where we stand by certain principles and that is that the child is the center of everything um, and everything we do is for the child. And um, and so theirs is slightly more bespoke. It's, very, it's quite different in that sense. So. It does mean you can really personalize it and uh, mm. and have all your reports written for you and get the head out of the office um, and seeing parents and working with teachers. So that's how it grew. Um, it, it came from that, just trying to help as many schools as possible, really. I, I said to some local authorities, you know, I'd happily sell them a license 
and then they can just get all their requires improvement schools signed up. They've got all their training, they've got their audit tool, uh, they know exactly where their strengths are. But with, um, with the multi-academy trust I'm working with, uh, where they've all got uh, the audit, I can marry up the reds and greens for school to school support. So we're not calling in outside agencies constantly and spending 600 pound a day. Um, instead, that actually we're, it's about finding inner strengths. So which teachers are really good in which areas, which schools are really good in which areas and how do we help each other? Just as we expect the children to do. It's, yeah. it's a, and the ethos works for the children and it works for all the staff. So we all value everybody. Everyone is valued. Everyone has a strength and, and, and we use it to grow together. So I found my tribe with the quack, gotta say, we call it the quack <laughs> um, because they, they truly believe everything that we do is, has to be centered around having a positive impact on the child. And, and I love that. <laughs> having that, um, having that uh, especially over the last eight or nine months that a head teacher who's followed that program and able to not be in an office as much. I know there's stuff that head teachers will have been dealing with, dealing with that are very un, like not not normal things to be dealing with. But yeah. if ever there's been a time to need a leader to to lead from the front and to kind of offer support and staff well-being, like yeah. it it has just been kind of shown, hasn't it? So. I mean, I also I found with the audit tool, um, I gave a login to my governors and it was pretty much, if you want to know anything about the school, go in and just, just draw down a report on anything you want. You might draw down a report on just behaviour or just attainment. Um, and that's fine. Just say you want a report on attainment. It will do it for you. It does everything for you. So I no longer have to sit and regurgitate the same information in 10 different ways and 10 different reports. Um, and for me, that was so important because... I, I created that because I had four schools to look after. And one, I needed to know my schools inside now. Two, I had no intention of sitting in an office regurgitating reports to, you know, four sets of governors. And, and, and three, um, I wanted to know um, where the schools could, could help each other um, and, and know each other's strengths and value each other's strengths, but also be really honest about where they want help to improve. Um, and it meant I wasn't stuck in the office either. I could. I could be amongst the staff and be there and support them. And, um, and, and again, constantly looking for those barriers, anything stopping the teachers from being great and stopping the children from being great, I had to remove, you know, somehow. So. Yeah, it's great. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's great. I think what you what you've done, what you're doing is, is fantastic. I'm massive. I'm just like, I'm just massively behind. I'm like a massive, massive advocate for this type of stuff because I see it so much that so, there's so many pupils that that fall out of education because of what whatever the reason there's there's obviously an, an abundance of reasons at times but I just think working collaboratively as well is something that we should all embrace like mm -hmm. like you said at the beginning everyone you're always learning aren't you and anyone who thinks they can't learn is quite dangerous like because yeah. you can you, you you never stop learning and you learn from your mistakes and there's a head teacher I spoke to the other day who was quite open and said the amount of times he's had to hold his hands up to his staff recent, like recently and said oh, I got that one wrong this is where we can improve like nobody should be nobody should be afraid of trying something for the fear of failure because I totally agree it, I, I, I'm not, 
I won't name the head, but I, I met a head once <laughs> and had a tour of the school. And this head was absolutely convinced she had everything nailed um, because her children do really well in SATs and apparently that's all that matters. So uh, because they get such high schools and SATs, clearly this school is, is running immaculately and perfectly. Um, I spent a couple of hours going around the school. I left. I should have stayed all day. I, I gave my excuses and left. And I sat in the car and I cried and I, I was with my deputy and we both cried actually um, because it was everything we didn't believe in. Um, there were children crying in the classroom because they couldn't get the maths and yet they're being hollered at, you know, by the teacher. Why are you crying? You should know this. And I just thought that's everything I'm fighting against. So I'm not fighting against good SATS results. It's how we get to good SATS results I'm fighting against. Let's get there in a very different way. Let it be driven by the children and not by fear. Because what you saw in those teachers' faces was fear that these children weren't getting this maths. And, and that was a real source of frustration for them because the head was sort of like, we get top marks in SATs. And I thought, what enormous pressures on those teachers. Mm. And, and that's not the reason for them being there. They are not there to get great SATs results. They're there to get greatness from the children, whatever that looks like. Um, it's, it's the child's potential. You know, not the government's potential for data. That we, some schools, I think of the how they're getting very wrong, mm. and and ultimately the intent. Mm. So I think a lot of schools need to go back to what is your intent? What do you want for this child? This child who walks in at four years old and says, "Tada! I'm here until I'm 11." Well, you know, what are you going to do for me? Are you going to say we're going to hammer you until you get top SATs results? No, of course you're not. I asked my staff. Um, Here's the four-year-old, right around the picture, all the things you want for this child by the time they leave at 11, at their leave of service, what do you want for this child? Um, and not one teacher put SATs, pass at SATs, not one. They all put confidence, happy, mm -hmm. loves learning, compassion, kindness. And there, were, there must have been like, you know, 50 or 60 words around this child and not one was academic achievement. And I was so proud because I just thought mm. that's exactly the right attitude towards this child. This child will achieve academically if they have all, all of these things, these characteristics. So, you know, again, the SOS, I also have in there um, a how to change to a character curriculum. So you are working on their characteristics, not um, remembering stuff. But if, if you help them to become ambitious and self-aware and have self-belief and compassion and kindness and all of those things, um, children will learn because they'll want to learn and, and they will excel because they're self-driven. Yeah. Um, I, wish, I wish you were my head teacher. <laughs> when I, uh, um, <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's been something I've, you know, I've, my my son's in year one in primary school and I've in my, I obviously want my um want my children to do well but what was like you touched on foremost I want them to want to go to school I want them to enjoy I want them to I want them to like their teacher I want them to like their dinner lady at school I want them to to enjoy mixing with pupils from all different backgrounds I think if they can get that right whatever they will achieve is like you say, their potential, and that's fine. Like that's, exactly. that, that's fine. You're you you are who you are. The biggest fear for me is if I have if my children ever come back from school with the thoughts that I had of school of I not wanting to be there, looking for an excuse or not. That that's that's sad, and that's not not what 
like I'm a massive believer in even as a an adult of once my mindset is and always has been through my working life if I'm in a working position and I for whatever reason don't enjoy it or we don't align with where we want to be or the whatever it might be I'm 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 done I'm not I I I, I move on I can't I can't settle up for things that I don't enjoy and I don't think that's a bad characteristic but it scares me about my children at school if they have that same mindset that once they find themselves falling yeah. out of love of it that they, they don't want want it because you you know like you say school isn't just about grades it's about so much so much more than that so I, I can yeah, I mean, we've been subject we've been timetables um and then we found the children the teachers managed to teach far more of the curriculum a lot quicker and um, we we got through the year curriculum in, in, in two-thirds of the year instead of a whole year um, and the teachers were very surprised by that they were surprised um, but I think um, you know, let's let teachers be professionals. They know exactly what children mm -hmm. need to cover. Let's give them the freedom to put those objectives really subtly and carefully in to these great projects these children want to do. Um, and, and they can do that. Teachers can do it if you just back away and let them do what they're great at. And if they're struggling, then help them to do that. You know, um, don't condemn them. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Again, uh, you know, another article I'm going to be doing is um, coaching as opposed to appraisals. You know, um, let's move away from the fear factor um, and let's coach children to be the best they can be. Let's coach the teachers to, to be the best they can be. When I coach teachers, and I'm coaching teachers within the combat, I, I coach the heads and I coach the teachers. I'm coaching a TA at the moment. Um, and they actually meet probably... I would say probably 20 times more targets through coaching, but they stand tall and they're confident and they say they love coming to coaching. They really enjoy it. They go away with this surge of energy and confidence and they just go and nail it. Well, in appraisals, they have three, you know, <laughs> three targets um, and, and they're hung over them like an ax over their neck, you know, do this or else. And we have to move away from all of that. No one should be doing anything, achieving anything through fear. We should be achieving it because it's the right thing to do and because we really want to. Um, and, and what you see is a very different culture and ethos, very different. And then and then they achieve. Everyone achieves. The staff achieve, the children achieve, um, and, and the head has a lot less work to do. Yeah. <laughs> and competitive with relationships um, and barriers, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, other than the fact that I completely agree and completely yeah I, I, I just completely agree with everything everything you said and um i do hope that there's, there's like i said there's so much stuff i'm noticing on social media platforms that is screaming about this type of thing you know it's there's lots of people shouting about this so if ever there's been a time to if ever there's been a time to start making changes and making alterations yeah it's, it's, now. it's got to be now it's got to be hasn't it because yeah. the education system like we could go off on this for ages again about the kind of lack of support some a lot of the time and and kind of not being made aware of things but if ever there's been a time when you know education has been a bit disrupted like everything else in the world now is that time to kind of just reassess how things are done isn't it and i i really hope that it does and speaking personally you know i think when all the stuff came out last night about people suggesting parents speak to Ofsted about what their school like 
Okay, I probably shouldn't have even mentioned that, but in a in a in a private organization, that conversation, that that statement would yep. have probably been like workplace bullying at, at the at the highest order, like in, in, in my opinion, in it. There's uh, right there. Yeah. That's clear. Like, Go to Ofsted if you're not getting what you want. And so now head teachers are trying to deliver. 10 times more to, to appease all parents. Well, I'm sorry, you cannot please everyone all of the time. So stay focused on your customer. What is the experience for the customer, which is the child? The child is coming to you for an education. So what experience they're having? Now, you know, in our schools, we've looked at a multitude of ways of educating. Some children do far better with a recorded lesson so they can watch it three or four times. It's not a one-off and time's up, ding, ding, you missed out. If you didn't catch all of that tough. Um, so if you record the input and then you say, right, I want, and the input might be five minutes. I'm gonna show you how to do this. You're gonna do it with me. And I want you to have a go. And then I want you to come back to me for part mm. two. So then they do it. And if they get a bit confused, they can go back and watch part one again. and say, well, I just want to watch that one more time. And then they can have another go and go, I think I get that now. I'll try part two. And part two is, well done. You did two of the questions. Now we're going to move on and we're going to do this bit. Now, for a child who is disengaged or who has SEN, um, has SEND, then, then this is really accessible. You've just taken away all their barriers. If they have slow processing, no problem. They can go back and they can watch it. They can pause it. So this pressure from government to do live lessons all day long. First, you've got the screen fatigue. But then all those children, you've just put those barriers back in place that you could have gotten rid of. And so, again, we come back to focus on the barriers for that child. So all these children can now access the learning and they're doing far better online learning because they can come and go. They can take lots of breaks. They can go back and watch it again, watch it five times if they want to before they have a go, which will build their confidence. They're more likely to get it right, which, again, will build their confidence. Um, and they're in control, you know, that they, they are, they are, they're not trying to run at someone else's pace, you know, you know, they say in a race, the slowest leads and um, in schools, it's just not like that. <laughs> the fastest leads. And if you can't keep up, then, you know, you're SEN and you're staying at lunch and have intervention. Um, and I, 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 we stopped all interventions, intervention stopped. We shouldn't be putting children in little rooms saying you need lots of extra help. No, they don't. They need good quality teaching. They need compassion. They need love. They need kindness. They need time. You know, they need resources to support them. They need to be able to return back to things. They don't need to be shunted out into another room. Stop it. Stop doing this. Um, it really frustrates the life out of me. So we have completely stopped that at the, um, at the Quet. We no longer take any child out of class. Um, and they're doing so much better. Mm -hmm. On the on the online learners, I have to say this 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 week from a from a parent's point of view has been the hardest you know the hardest week since COVID's been around in terms of home learning. I think yeah, it it, it was challenging. I'm absolutely grateful to our school that they have the pre um, every day you log onto the site and get pre-recorded lessons. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't as a family we wouldn't be able to do online lessons all day. It would not work from a like parents have jobs to do as well you know we can't we can't just stop stop jobs completely so that the pre-recorded ones have worked brilliantly and also for me knowing when my child son 
wants to do it, you do it. And if that gets to the point, I'm not going to sit and start arguing with him because he doesn't doesn't want to learn because then it's just going to create mm-hmm. that, I don't like education. And actually, I want him to like it. So I think yeah. it's it, I'm, I'm absolutely full of praise for our, for our son's school. I think they've done a, an immense yeah, job. Yeah, they're doing a sort of a blend between the two. Mm-hmm. So there are some live lessons to encourage that social interaction that they feel um, they get that that con- that live mm. competition and absolutely so we've also put in you know zoom parties if you like where the whole focus is just to chat um where they just log in for half an hour and have a really good old yarn with their, their teachers but but we've also asked all the staff every member of staff to read a book so um to record themselves reading chapters of a book so the children can dip in and out and hear their teacher's voice reading to them it's a lovely um mm. comforting for, for many children and and that's really key. So there are lots of ways of keeping that interaction and keeping that relationship, which I said before, the relationship is absolutely key. So you've got to keep your relationships going. There are loads of phone calls home, chatting to the children. What have you been doing? Not work-wise, but basically, mm. have you been practicing riding your bike? Are you getting better at it? You know, um, what's your challenge this week kind of thing? And just just conversation, you know, that you would mm. in the classroom. Actually showing them that you you love them you care about them and you value them so it's not about academic success at all um and, and it's about getting a blend of all of those things isn't it it's this this full-time day-to-day online learning if you have five children that's not going to happen <laughs> yeah we we do know somebody's got four i think four four mm-hmm. boys four boys and the oldest is in year one at year seven at secondary school mm-hmm. yeah um yeah okay Brilliant. i think yeah everything everything you said I completely completely agree with and could could carry on talking about all that sort of stuff quite quite a lot um yeah I think if if anyone kind of listening is interested in the work that Julie's doing I'll add links in the show notes Julie I think I'm gonna I'm gonna say it again I think your story has been is inspirational I think you should take absolute credit for that and give yourself a a good pat on the back because I think what you what you've been through what you've done is amazing um I'm really 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 look forward to speaking to you again um yeah thanks for thanks for coming on and sharing your story and sharing what you do thanks very much thanks for having me absolute pleasure thanks Julie